Uh, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat. Uh, we've got a really special interview on the back of this week's show. So if you don't want to listen to me and Nathan recap our weeks, nothing too exciting to talk about, just scroll to 33 minutes and you'll get to listen to the interview we did with Sam Burke from Tarkine Running. It's a really good interview and, yeah, I just I could have let him talk for hours and just listen to the way that they have built their brand, how they get their shoes made and all the rest of it. So if you want to skip straight to the interview, it's at about roughly 33 minutes in. But if you're hanging around for the full show, thanks for your time and we will see you again next week. Thank you. Welcome to episode 88 of Each Sleep, Run, Repeat, the running podcast for the average runner. Just myself, Wooly, and Mr. Barden in session. How's it going, mate? Hey, mate. Bloody getting hot, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but I went out for a run in that, as that storm was coming, dodged the um, dodged the lightning, and it actually caught, was cooled it down. It was nice. It actually, like, tipped it down at one point. I was running it. I was like, oh, that's really nice. Um you know, but once that sun goes down, it does dip at the moment. It does dip quite nicely. The temperature just goes, doesn't it? It's great. But uh, unfortunately, another thing, mate, last last week, I found a dead wallaby on the side of the road, just been hit. No, someone had left it there in the middle of the road. And then tonight at the edge of my paddock, coming over the bridge, they've got turtles that live in the creek and in my dam. And someone had run one over and it was still alive, like crushed its back. And, um, yeah, I, I was going to euthanize it myself, but I phoned the wildlife rescue and they've taken it to the vet to have it put down. But it must yeah. be in so much pain. I'll send you the photo later. It's terrible, but oh, people just can't bloody stop. They're just too they're too much in a rush, or they just. Um, you reckon yeah. they just wouldn't have even known? Oh, I think you know if you ran over a turtle. It's like a pretty big. What's that? Pretty big, yeah. And uh, I think people aim. I think someone aimed for it. A lot of people do aim for them, or they just don't care. Yeah, yeah, I was in Bali once, like a street. I was in a taxi and a street dog walked out on the road. Yeah. And the driver like swerved to hit it and I fucking just went off. Yeah. Like, Mate, we love dogs. And he was like, no, 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 no. And he was telling me about like the, the I think it's the Hindu, the Hindu. It's, yeah. Um, it's the lowest form re- of. Yeah. Reincarnation. He was saying, no, nah, he's done something really bad. He'll come back as a human. He said if he's yeah. been a murderer or real they bad come back guy, as a dog. Yeah, yeah. He was that's like, that book. Um mate, I've got a book. I'll have to find it. A uh, really good book. You'd actually like it. Um, it's called Tapping Tapping the Source, mate. It's a surf book in Bali before like back in the eighties. It's it's awesome. I've got that one and I've got the dogs of winter. And same same author, one set in um, like Huntington Beach, it's a really good read, and then the other one's set in um, Bali. You'd actually quite like it, I reckon. They're two really good books. Same same author. Don't know how I come across that, but I just uh, in my surf days at uni, yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, they yeah. back in the day they used to um just like smuggle drugs into Bali in their surfboard bags and there was no checks or anything. The Brazilians used to bring all the weed into Bali, they reckon. All right. Just in their surfboard bags. There's a book about that. Um, I can't think what it's called. But this uh, was back in the day before, you know, like you'd get assaulted on the beach by all the bloody um yeah, it was like westernized. Yeah, before all that, when it was real like still you know, like Thailand. Like, you know, when I first went in 2009, when I first went to Tiger Muay Thai and that road in Shillong was just nothing. And now it's like, bang, that place is nuts. Like, I've got photos. I'll have to show you photos of 2009. There's nothing on that road. Now it's just yeah, like, it's crazy. Um, oh, yeah. Mate, I must I'll quickly. Yeah, Brad Newton, mate, he produced a series on YouTube called, uh, well, He's done a whole shitload of series on YouTube, but one of them is a fitness street. That's how I got onto his channel. It's um all like vlogs of the fitness street where Tiger Muay Thai and that is. Oh, I'll write that down, mate. That's what's the um Brad Newton. Brad uh-huh. Newton Fitness. Mm-hmm. No, he's gonna he's gonna come on the podcast. Oh, wicked. He's got back he's he's back in Australia now. He was living and vlogging in Thailand and he's yeah. a he's a pilot. He's oh, a trainer, but he's also a commercial pilot. So he's back yeah. in Australia. He's doing loads of flying. I think he just saves up, saves up loads of money, and then just goes and lives in Thailand for the for like yeah. half a year and just lives like that. He said, "Yeah, I'm working like crazy, but as soon as work slows down, I'll, I'll come on." Because he's man, he's got two channels. One is uh, like the vlogs, and then his other channel is all like fitness and nutrition based stuff, and it's so interesting. And he he kind of explains body types and yeah. why people why people get skinny fat you know and then some people get ripped and muscly like it he breaks it down really really well i was reading that in my again in uh, arnold schwarzenegger's encyclopedia of bodybuilding and he talks about your body type and i think like my body type is like a uh, ectomorph and it, it says you will have trouble these people with body type have trouble eating enough food to build and i went oh that's me. You know, mm. I just have trouble being able to eat enough food. To yeah, because there's like different types that just can't get big, hey? Yeah, so just, I just have to just... force yourself to eat. But uh, the only way I could force myself to eat is make me sugar low. Then I'd have to have calories. Like yesterday, I was busy tiling in the bathroom, and I must have gone for about three cans of lemonade. My sugar just got low and everything. But I thought, well, it's still, it's still calories I'm taking in. So How, do you, how could you force your sugar to get low? have insulin also pump heaps of insulin in just whack a load of not too much but enough to drop it that i'd have to eat and i could have some more and i'd have to eat or i'd pass out so that's uh yeah one way to do it yeah but yeah definitely um i'll link one of his videos in the um description of this because the the mm. fitness street ones are fascinating but his actual um sports nutrition ones are, are just as just yeah, as interesting yeah, great. I've got a few new subscribers. I'm up to like about 123 uh, subscribers on my YouTube channel now. It's just gone. And the video I did about uh, Sydney Marathon being a major has hit like, what's that, 1,500 views? Yeah, imagine if you could do that every like, video like that every week. Yeah. So quite, in no time. Yeah. Like, um, so I've got to think of another, you know, dodgy topic to discuss 
And maybe I'll just talk about, maybe I'll do a review of all the marathons so far this year. And uh, yeah, like. It's hard because you don't want to be like real clickbait style, but that's kind of what what gets um, views, eh? Like you got to be controversial and. And you got to be regularly posting as well. And I've got lots of stuff. I just, it's the time, mate. You know, like um, I don't just come home and uh, go for a run and then sit with nothing to do. You know, like um, I'm busy with work. I've got the animals to look after as well, the horses and stuff. And, you know, it takes a, takes a bit of your time. So yeah, it's, it's hard to get, oh, I've got to do that. And then I want to, you know, then you got to edit it and stuff. So, but you know. Yeah. It's like um YouTubers, like it looks like a real cruisy job, but like people don't realize oh. that you got hours of footage that you don't use. Like you just use tiny little split seconds of yeah, loads of um filming. And uh, it's a bloody lot of work. And you eh? think you make a video 10 minutes. It's, it's a lot for someone to watch. And like, but the actual amount of minutes that you video in, even just in a, on a trail race, I can, in a trail <laughs> yeah. race, I can do more because it's, it's not so pressured of going for a time. You're enjoying yourself a little bit more. And I could have like two hours, an hour. Oh, mate, I got a, uh, sorry to interrupt. I got a um, Insta360 go. You know, the little clip on. Oh, the little white one. Yeah, I got one. It's coming on Friday. Did you get it cheap? Yeah, I got it on eBay. Oh, okay. Wicked. But um, yeah, I've been trying to get one for ages. So that. Yeah, that'd be great. Do some uh, POV races in that. Yeah, that'd be good because that's quite light in it and you just clipped your head and forget about it. Yeah. yeah that, that's what all those big U- uh, English YouTubers use. They yeah. just like literally put the put it on the cap and then just race. I think I'll use my 360 at the London marathon because um, that would be epic, but I might have to take a spare battery with me because the battery, you have to be wary of the battery uh, on that or just be selective of what you video, you know, also, talking you know who also who uses that camera that you've got yeah. is, uh, 40 runs who, who's coming oh. on the podcast after, yeah, he does. after um, shit. What's the marathon coming up in America? New York. New York. Yeah, he's doing New York and then he's he's coming on. Wicked. That'd be good. So we've got heaps of uh he, like I've got a whole list of people that are coming on outside. Um Yeah, excellent. Gonna be uh gonna be really good coming into Christmas. Heaps of heaps of content and um man, we'll put the the Tarkon interview on on the back of this, but how good I won't ruin it for the listeners, but how good have we not had it you haven't posted it yet? No, no, I'll put it on uh-huh. the list. Um, Put it on this one, yeah. Yeah, I went for a run in mine um, yesterday, man. I like. We I might actually... just explain that they um, we were very lucky. Uh, Steve, uh, was it Badgered Sam? Could we have some shoes to try? And what well, you managed to find a couple of pairs for us, didn't he? And they're just luckily, I think. Did it? Were they the right size for you? Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Cool. Perfect yeah. fit. Um, I could do it half a size bigger, but I'm happy to take them for free, you know. So um, we're very thankful for Tarkon have sent us their trowel devil shoe. Um, I've done a one run in it and you've done a run in it. So um, yeah, I'm going to do a few more and we, we're going to do a good review of those. So, um, yeah, thanks to Man, I, I really, really enjoyed running in them and – it's made me excited about their um they've got a road shoe that's coming oh, out. They have, they've got they're gonna have a road shoe coming out, which is like a daily training, but then they're gonna have a race shoe with a plate in. And it's interesting because 
This was our first time I've actually met a real true life shoe dog. I've, I've awesome. followed both of them on Strava now. And um, Sam is like, man, his Strava graph is like 110 Ks every week. Just like that. Just so consistent. Yeah. Looks like he runs all on the trails too. But I mean, if he's got them shoes at his disposal, why wouldn't you, man? I I yeah. found them just to be so responsive and light. Yeah, there's a big stack on them, but you can still feel the trail through them, you know. So, and it's nice to be in touch with like some shoes. You go, oh my god, I just can't fit anything. But you know, like the those, you definitely could feel, you know, like that you're in touch with it. So not like you're just completely. Uh, yeah. And they were sort of like, they're just like a bit wider too. So like you sort of can move your feet around a bit. Like, yeah, the toe box is wide. It's a bit like the topo topo and the, and the ultras have got that, that, and that's how a shoe should be made like that because they get made and they push our toes in and we, we have always can have all these problems yet. So they are actually, um, they're well, they are well-made shoe and a lot. And, and the interview with Sam, you're here. He, um, he does go into sort of, uh, you know, how much, of, how difficult it was in getting, and they were, he explains to, you know, they were making shoes and then uh, the the um, demo was great, but then the production was a load of rubbish. They give him an awesome, um, shit, what are they prototype. called? Prototype. Prototype is unreal. And then he said, when they start spitting them out, they're just, they're giving you yeah. a completely different they Enjoy shoot. that. It's really, it was really good that uh, chat with him. And, uh, it was great that, um, being so busy to come on. But man, I would I would love to work with guys like that more because just they're like local young guys having a crack and just super passionate and doing a good yeah. thing too. Like doing everything they're trying to do is like good for the environment, trying yeah. their hardest to do the right thing. Like, yeah, it's bloody yeah. really really inspiring it was just chatting to him sort of because you know you big companies and you always sort of feel like the little man and you sort of think you you can't make an impact no matter what you do but then listening to him i was like man everyone can make an impact if they have a bit of a crack you know yeah and, yeah uh, i think it just takes enough people you know like i i don't eat commercially caught seafood one i don't really like seafood i don't mind white white fish but if you watch that uh, Netflix film, Sea Spiracy, you see the amount of dolphin sharks and turtles that are, you know, just killed just so they could be fish and, and the overfishing. Yeah. And uh, my mum goes, oh, yeah, but, oh, you know, that's just the way it is. Like, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Like, yeah. we could put pressure on these people. If people stop buying, buying, commercially caught fish and just buy it from your local fishmonger that's caught that's got from local fishermen. Yeah. Caught them in then, Yeah. Yeah. And then you know that um that will that will have an effect. Yeah, it's like shop shut. Shop shut because people don't shop in them. Restaurant shut because people don't go there to eat. So these people have to shut their doors. So this is what happens if you if if you say no, we're going to be against uh you know if if no one bet on horses, horse racing would stop. Yeah. You know, so it's you could make it, you could make a change. Um, you know, it just takes an, enough people to slowly, you know, look at the people who become vegan and vegetarian. I bet the meat industry has seen a drop in the amount of uh demand for uh the product. So 
Well, one of um, dad's mates is a, he's, he's like an engineer, but he like maintains all these machines that uh, like Coke and um, oh, what's the other big v. Busy, busy drink, the sweeps and all that. Like yeah. the, he's, he has been servicing those machines for years, but there's, they're going, they're all going out of business because people are just not drinking Coke and cans of, you know, just cans drink, of fizzy yeah. drink. People are trying to be healthy these days. So the tide is like turning. It's just, there's a lot mm -hmm. of like the old school mentality of like this. It's the, old, oh, you know, fuck, not bagging on older people, but it's the older generation that just kind of are stuck in their ways and not yeah. so, um, not so open to change. I think uh, uh, they won't ever listen to this podcast, but uh, I know someone who has, uh, they like organic beef, right? So their cows don't get any, uh, they're just grass fed with a bit of bread and uh, they don't get any tick prevention or anything like that. No chemicals whatsoever. And then the, the owner stands there and lights a cigarette because they that they want that meat because they want organic, no chemical meat, and yeah. then cigarette. I'm like, um, <laughs> do you realise? Like the irony is quite yeah. hilarious, you know. I just it's like uh, when you go to the doctor and the doctor's like massively overweight. Yeah, you're like, mate, what are you talking about? Like, how many know? how many units of alcohol do you drink a day? What yeah. does it matter? Like, yeah. really, you're gonna you can't lecture me on on uh, that? Yeah, mate. On um, Saturday, just gone, we did, um, talking to classes, we did the like a Runco track session at Nudgee. Yep. It's been bloody 30 of us there. And Paul and Andy basically just put us through like a heap of warm-up drills. Then we did some like, uh, what would you call them? Like, not hurdles, but, you know, like the little, I think they might even yep. be called wickets. And just yeah, they're like little training hurdles. Yeah, yeah. We just did a load of drills. Um down at the track and that was great and that that was an hour gone i didn't even you know in a blink and it was a heap of us there and then we did a 1k time trial run a 301 oh. just outside i think it was a 301 i was just outside three minutes but i was like um man i'm gonna i'm gonna go back in a couple of weeks time i'm gonna spike up put my spikes on and yeah i'm an all-out blast like um what do you reckon you could do 800 in? I don't know. I was trying to work out my 800 split in that, like 301. So I reckon I've gone through 800 and like 220. So you'd think maybe, or 225, like uh, maybe yeah. under 220, I reckon I could do. I reckon you'd go faster than that, couldn't you? Maybe, maybe. It's a difficult event. Like I took that 1K, the first lap I went controlled, second lap, you know, definitely pushing to the limit and then the last 200 let it all go but what was your fastest when you were younger when you were a kid i never broke two minutes i think i got 205 or something like that like pretty quick did fraser what did fraser get did he break two minutes he, yeah you run 158 something like that do you just think like quick man uh, real you just quick. think like, how old was he when he did that 15 17 18 19 yeah yeah, about 15 16 I think. you think crikey like how fast you'd have to be running to do no, that fraser was a gun on the track like he won yeah. bloody athlete of the of the uh match one of those mcdonald's meets like mm. one of the major um 
athletics meets in England. He won like athlete of the weekend or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so on that day where we did the, the Runco thing, I then after I did the 1K time trial, which absolutely cooked me, it was pretty hot. And then yeah, it was getting Liam Badger come down and he, he's been doing a like an online training program to break 20 minutes. And so me and Paul pace him. And he ran 1930, like just oh. smashed it. But not only that, man, he did it in a pair of bricks. Like, I don't even know if they're running shoes. Like, Imagine if you gave him a pair of super shoes. Like. So he said, oh, man, next thing I want to do is sub 19. I was like, man, if you had a pair of super shoes on, you'd you would have done it today. Yeah, because he would have taken a good 10 seconds per, per kilometer off, I reckon. So, um, yeah. But, mate, he, he's... He's built like Nick Bear, because like, he? he did a. Uh, he wasn't using roids or anything, but he did like a bulk about a year ago, like, and he was lifting loads, and he got massive. Yeah. Like, he actually got he was shredded, but he was huge. Yeah. And so, like, he's been his body's like in that sort of slowly shrinking phase, but he'd he'd be eighty five kg of just muscle. So, like, when he's running, he was running behind me and Paul. He was just. Like you just hear him go. Didn't he have a problem with his knee? Yeah, he's had two knee surgeries. On a, he's had both done, left and right. What was it, ACL? Yeah, on both of them. Oh, how did he do that? Kickboxing? No, something in the army. He did oh. one in the army, like fell on a on like a training exercise. Yeah. They and pay then, for all that as well. When yeah, then but when they reckon you when you do the first one, it always makes your other your other side go. So then he had the other one gone, and I think they only last like ten years. You got to get them done again. What? Um, uh, he's not kickboxing anymore. Oh, just doing a bit like with me in the garage every now and again. Oh yeah, but nothing. Um, I think he still does his BJJ twice a week. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's a handful. Especially yeah. at the size he's at now, like he's a monster. Yeah, because what did he used to fight at? He was lighter than me, wasn't he? I think when he finished, he 72? was probably fighting 72, 72, yeah, 72 to 75. Yeah. But he was big and then he filled out like, you yeah, know, he was fight. He fought Jake Lund at like 66 kilos. Oh, did he? Yeah, he yeah, got draw. That's like oh. Jake Lund's only draw. Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember pulling his mouth guard out after that fight. It was like full of blood. Where was that at? Where, where did he fight? Red, did he fight at Redcliffe? Redcliffe PCYC. RSL. Yeah. PCYC. Was that? Oh, the PCYC. You, oh, so that's when you had NKA. So you were there with your lads. I might have been there with Darren or something. Yeah, yeah. Darren and maybe April, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then this, so this weekend I've got, uh, I've got a 3K time trial, a Saturday morning. Right. So I'm going to spike up for that. Go for it. Are you then, red then, runs in two weeks' time? Are you gonna run? Yeah. Are you gonna go? I was looking at that. I was looking at the calendar. Um what have I got there? Wow. I'm trying to get Fraser along. I don't know if he listening. Which is it? The Sunday sun the fifth. Sunday the fifth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna run. I was looking so at just it. go online, just go calendar. to Trek to Health, enter whatever you do for the fundraising, you know. Um, but it's minimum if you can 50 bucks but you get free burger free coffee you get a medal you get a, uh one of those buffs they're really nice they're aboriginal buffs they're wicked i love them 
um and uh yeah like, and it's money for charity it's not going in someone's pocket to make them rich it's actually going towards a charity for our frontline workers so mental health you imagine like being a frontline worker though all you're dealing with is like if you're a police officer you're dealing with like criminals and shit all day and then if you're like a fireman you're dealing with car crashes and fires and then you're an ambulance it's not like you're going there to help yeah if you're an ambulance driver paramedic it's not like you're going along to have a cup of tea with someone it's like someone's injured you know and and badly a lot of the time for an ambulance so my neighbor my neighbor's a retired um police officer and he's got ptsd from from all the shitty seen in car crashes oh yeah so he's he's um he's seen hundreds of um suicides and none of that bothered him but the car crashes has messed him up Something off, just off, off of running. I've got tickets for Cirque du Soleil on Saturday. I have not yeah, been. Where's to, that? In Brisbane. I, do you know what we're watching? So we're watching uh, this Netflix recommendation. We're watching Bodies, and it's in like four different timelines, and one of them is back in eighteen ninety, and they're just talking like because they're wearing top hats and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, it's like. We were just talking, ended up talking about P.T. Barnum and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, you know what? I, there's a circus at North Lakes at the moment, but it's a little bit like um, burlesque kind of, it's adults only. And I said, oh, no, maybe we should go to the Cirque du Soleil or the Russian State Circus when they're in town. And then Mathilde goes, um, well, they're actually like, I don't know if she looked up or we just, she said, they are in town and they they usually be out by the airport, but because all that area changed with the new roads, they're down now near the Brisbane Golf Club. And they've been there like since um, the end of September. And this is their last weekend. So I went, oh, crikey, boom, went online and managed to get some tickets for Saturday um, early evening. And I've not been to the circus. Dad took us at the Moat Park when I was about 10 years old, something like that. And I remember being in this big, you know, they used to have a really good circus there and then all the trapeze artists and everything else. I was like, wow, that's amazing. you know, like, and I haven't been to the circus. I wanted to go for, for ages. Um, and so we've got tickets for that. So there are tickets left for the rest of this week and Saturday and Sunday. So um, you can get, we got, like they start at $80. They're not in the best area. And you've got, I've got some for about $154 and you've got a clear area because they've got the big posts that hold the thing up. But it is mass, it's big. It's big. And you can pay like 400 bucks and you can get all like, they have a VIP area and you can get food and alcohol and all that. So um really looking forward to that. It's just a little bit different. Cool. So that's that Netflix recommendation as well, Bodies. I also hey. watched that, uh, Who Murdered Jill Dando? Have you seen that one? Nah, nah. Oh, do, do you know Jill Dando? Jill Dando yeah. used to, mate, I was in England still when it happened. And um, yeah, she used to do Crime Watch, didn't she? And how weird. They'd never found the person. They've never, they oh, thought they'd the guy. Never, never. They reckon they it was arrested her. someone. Yeah, they did, but he got, he got off. Um, well, they found him guilty, then he appealed. And it, the, the, the evidence was so crap, mate. I mean, God, um, it was just terrible. Um, and uh, they reckon it was a professional hit, maybe by the Serbians. Yeah. But you have to watch it. You have yeah. to watch it to understand why. But um, yeah, that, that was that was quite very sad though, um, because obviously I, I, you know, used to watch her all the time on TV. 
but bodies is good i really, really enjoying it it's like one um like, i think there's eight episodes to it watch that anyway i was going to say also um big's backyard ultra in america yes, it's still going the moment. cameraman just dropped out on lap 31 oh he did he medical emergency so i hope he's all oh, good okay but phil gore and um phil gore is actually a sponsored tarkine athlete which ties in with yes. today but um yeah the other some of the other aussies are still going mm. that's the world champs isn't it is that what they class as the world champs um yes yeah yeah but apparently it's a really um like because i mean backyard ultras are super hard anyway because it's just got to keep <laughs> going and going and going but the it's a difficult course oh is it like it's, is it not it's flat got, then it's got quite a bit of elevation in it oh. and it's single trail technical hard when it goes dark like you know yeah. it's real real um real challenging but i did yesterday went on to a bit of a youtube oh you know like when you start your search say big's backyard ultra that you just get all the recommendations and i started watching all the american uh vlogs of all that shit man that's big over there eh? yeah in america yeah. the ultra scene's huge that's it you could run like you could probably run an an ultra in, in like in your own state nearly every weekend in america there are so many trout and it's obviously it's all trout really um but yeah there are so many i mean some some in some areas you definitely wouldn't want to like in bear country and and cougar country you'd let you know not mountain lion country that you go or what you know and it's like yeah you would definitely i would be taking like a a nine millimeter or or a yeah at least bear spray with you but some of these people are like yeah that the 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 true hardcore ones are like don't take anything like that so um i don't think of the guy's name um where's someone he does all those where's plate like that's it where's yeah. plate does a lot of, and there's a guy i follow on um he's cinematic like yeah he's beautiful good. footage and that i love watching him i've chatted to him a bit actually and then Amglaze, he's done utmb five times and he's got his um wife into trail running he's a fireman um and then he just does loads and he does some really good videos on um on insta mm-hmm. So um and Glaze, if you're interested, look him up. He's funny. He did a UTMB in little denim cut-off shorts. <laughs> it was like just his trademark thing, but he's done five of them. Enough. And he said, enough, that's it now. I've promised my wife no more UTMB. But he's done five of them, finished them all. That'd be good to get one someone on from America, like a uh, one of those America trail runners. We'll have to reach out to him. Yeah, I'll like I'm sure that some of them would be keen. The hardest thing is getting in contact with them because you contact the them on zone. Instagram and they don't see your message because it goes to the, um, like, you know, it doesn't go, they don't see the message. It goes to like a hidden inbox thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I reckon that that's why if you're verified, you know, you can pay to get your tick. Oh yeah. Once you're verified, they, it, the message goes straight to them. Like it's almost worth paying. Yeah, especially when you're doing podcasts and interviews and that, because at least you can get in contact with them. Yeah, because they know you're not like just hassling them or what, yeah, spam. Yeah, know you're not scamming. But spam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, man. So what, how was your How was your rest of your week? Uh what did I do? I see you're doing some slower K's. 
I did, man. I had a really hard session on Tuesday night, which was on the track up the road. And uh, it was like two by 800, two by 600, two by 400, two by 200, which doesn't sound that bad, but man, it was really hard. And it was just, where'd you do that? Just at the grass track up the grass road. Track, yeah. But it's, it was so windy. So like there was just one straight mm. where I just, the more fatigued I got every time I hit that wind, like if you look on my Garmin um, data, you could see every time I hit the wind, my heart rate went up and the pace slowed. Yeah. But got through that. And then the rest of the week was just easy um, running. And then, yeah, Saturday was a solid oh, yeah. okay time trial and then and then uh, did the sub-20 with Liam. And then Sunday I run around the dam for an hour and a half in me um, new Tarkine shoes. Yeah. Footage, put it on uh, Insta. Great footage, mate. Actually, did a bit of drone work where I just put it in the air and run underneath. Ran, it, yeah, which was pretty yeah. cool. And I also tried to do the follow me thing, like running with the remote. Oh but, yeah. Uh, first time I did that, I don't want to fall over. Yeah, and it hit me in the head. Like I didn't have the oh, drone oh. minor. Yeah. But um. Well, I've got my three sixty now with the three meter pole. So try and run with that. That might be good. We want to get out on um on some nice trails up a mountain or something, I reckon. Mm. Take yeah. the drone, take the cameras. Well, mate, stuff. I might I might when I run red run, I might do I might take the pole with the 360 and just give that a crack for a laugh. You know, I'm gonna have a good hit out anyway, but um yeah, I'll see if I can stick. I'll see if I can stay with you. Yeah, for sure. Chris Curtis is doing it. He's entered. Um, I think we get quite a few getting there. So um, I think Mitch, my podiatrist, is uh, is running. Um, is he the he's last year's winner, wasn't he? No, one of his one of his team was oh, won okay. it. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Daniel O'Hara will be back this year. Um, I wonder if any of the South Point Striders will be lacing up their trail shoes again. Yeah, I'd say so. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, have you got access to the start list? Uh, yeah, I can, yeah. I can access it. Check out who's entered. Well, you just see, you can see actually online, you go Trek to Health, go to it, and you can actually then see all the uh, fundraisers. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you can find, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Send your link, you know, enter, send your link to friends, family, colleagues, and uh, see if someone will give you a few bucks. So, um Yep. Let's let's roll into the interview. Yeah, let's do that. Great stuff. And we'll uh we'll catch us all next week. And uh yeah, really enjoy the interview with Sam. It's yeah, it's bloody fascinating. Wicked. Excellent. Oh, welcome to the podcast. Live from Perth in Australia. Sam Burke from Tarkine. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm sitting here at our headquarters in um just out, just uh, out of Frio, out of Fremantle in in WA. Yep. Got a little, we got a little warehouse here with a few few old sea containers in it, and it's um yeah, it's a good little good little um headquarters. So how long has Tarkine been around for? Mate, we launched um a fish like we launched a Kickstarter campaign in in mid November two thousand twenty one. Um, so I guess like that's when the brand first kind of got exposed to the market. But we didn't really actually have you know, shoes on Australian soil until, you know, I think it was February, 2022. So 
I, I'd say maybe that's the official launch when you actually have a real shoe to give to someone. And so, um, you know, uh, not two years, you know, a, a year and a half and, and a little bit of change, I guess. So we're still very young, pretty much a startup. Um, but yeah, we, we've come a long way, I think, in, in that time. And um, yeah, but still just getting started, mate. Just for the listeners, do you want to explain what the Tarkine is? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, the Tarkine, you mean the, the place and the, the meaning behind it, yeah. right? So, so my my background is like, uh, I'm obviously, I'm living in Frio in WA at the moment, but I grew up in Sydney uh, and I spent a lot of time traveling as a kid, spent a lot of time in Tassie um, as a kid and as an adult. And there is an area in Northwest Tassie uh, called Takana, uh, which is the indigenous name for the Tarkine, okay? And, um, and it, is a, it is the world's second lar largest temperate rainforest. Uh, and it's one of these places that you just, you, you read about in, in books and, and you see in movies, but not many humans really get to, to see it, uh, places such as this. And it's just this magnificent rainforest that, that not many Australians even know is around. And, and it's, um, it's, it's <clears throat> kind of been called, you know, Australia's Amazon um, many times because it really is that. Uh, and uh, it is that special. Uh, and it's been uh, kind of, there's been a strong argument for it to be heritage listed for many, many years. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the political system in Australia is working against it. And we have, um, you know, um, governments who, support the logging industry and um even though the logging industry itself is a awful business that hemorrhages taxpayers money year after year after year that they really just prop it up to keep to keep people in old school jobs that you know um that probably should be moved into new lines of work right but to, i won't go down that road right now but it is an amazing rainforest that's that's under threat and i figured that the world doesn't need, you know, we all, we, it's kind of our, our, one of our sayings, the world doesn't need another sneak, a running shoe company. There's already enough of those. But we figured if we're going to start one, let's start one that has some meaning behind it. Let's start one that has a story behind it and um, one that's going to try and make a difference rather, uh, more than just create cool kicks and cool products, something that actually stands for sampling. So that's a, that's a little rehash about, you know, a little, little recap of the Tarkine, mate. Mate, I've watched some uh, some videos on the internet. I've never been there, but it looks spectacular. Looks like it'd be a great place to to run. It is, and on that point, like there is a one trail race there every year, and um, we're actually doing a comp at the moment on our socials and stuff that some of the listeners may have seen. It's called the Tekina Ultra. It's on next year, February the twenty fourth. I think the entries open literally in a week, like October twenty fourth. I think the entries open and. It is, there's a 65K and a 22K um, trail race through, through this ancient rainforest. It's, it's Gondwanan rainforest, right? So some of these, like literally some of the oldest trees in, on, on the planet. Um, and this is just an amazing trail race. Um, I think there's only 150 starters allowed because it's a national park and stuff. So, or parts of it are national park. So um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's the only official race through, the, through there. Obviously you can visit at any time and go for runs, you know, at your pleasure, but. It is really a cool place to go running. Yeah. So let's get onto the shoes. Like the, the shoes are recyclable, environmentally friendly. Want to talk us a bit through that? Yeah, man. So, um, you know, I, I want just for starters with shoes before 
you know, before I get into the specifics, there's, you know, shoe, shoes are not that eco-friendly, okay? And even brands such as Tarkine and some of the other brands coming out that tell you that everything is, you know, it, it, it magnificently, magically um, eco-friendly, that it, it's still less eco-friendly than not bringing out a shoe at all, okay? Um, you know, this, it's hard to make these things. They're, they're, they're made using a whole bunch of different materials and it's impossible, even shoes that are made, you know, some of these brands bringing out shoes with, um, you know, corn and stuff in the midsole. It, it's, it's a whole bunch of greenwashing bullshit that has gone into most of these shoes because even, even the corn in the midsole, it's mixed with EVA and, and the chemicals used to produce these midsoles, it's pretty intensive, okay? So I'm not gonna, I won't go into specifics, but we, when we say we're eco-friendly, we are and we're doing our best, okay? But I don't wanna bullshit the world because the whole process of manufacturing, it's it's complex, okay? And there's a whole lot of greenwashing that goes on. And, and I think what we're trying to be is the most transparent company that just says it the way it is and says, hey, like the, there is no such thing as an eco, a purely 100% eco-friendly shoe, but we are more eco-friendly than the other shoes out there, but we're still not that eco-friendly compared to say a banana that you eat, okay? There's no <laughs> way we could just magically sugarcoat shit, okay? So, yeah. um, and, and but having said that, um, let me just give you a little bit of specifics about the actual shoes itself. So um, the shoes use recycled content as much as possible, all right? Um, so the uppers, the laces, um, in one of our shoes, the Goshawk, the sock liner, or more commonly referred in Australia as just the insert, is biodegradable, okay? But I could talk about this all day, and I don't want to bore people too much, but even the biodegradable process of a, of a sock liner is complex because it biodegrades and you get... Um, a whole bunch of tiny microplastics biodegrading, right? So when you, when you have these mailer bags, for example, that are biodegradable and compostable, it's not as simple as just they just break down and it's and it's over. They, they break it down into a, millions and millions and millions of tiny little particles, right, which are still in the soil and then get into the whole food chain and into, into plants that we grow and all that sort of stuff. So... Um, getting back to it, our, you know, we, we, we do what we can with all that okay there's a lot of recycled content in all the shoes which costs a lot more money to manufacture than if we just use virgin products okay um and so we, we pay a lot more to make our shoes because of that recycled stuff i think that we are we will get better and better at recycled content but we're also trying to move towards more high performance and the more you get towards high performance the less eco-friendly it, it becomes okay you know example this new adidas shoe that, um, you know, the, the women's world record, you know, got broken uh, just like the other day in Chicago. So, they, you know, that that shoe obviously, what, last 50, 60K max, right? You know, yeah. and so, you know, it, it's $1,000 for, for 50 or 60K or whatever. It's not obviously very eco-friendly, right? And so, but that's an example is the more, the more high performance you get, the harder it is to be eco-friendly. So the other things we do to try and bridge the gap and really put our money where our mouth is, is that we, 3% um, of revenue is donated and that is an incredibly transparent process. So we work with, um, we, we, we try and be non-political in the sense that, you know, we, we're an environmental company, but, and we work with organizations who are aligned to certain areas, I guess, but we're really just judging them on what they do for the environment and that's it. All the other crap is, is irrelevant and, yeah. um, and, 
Um, so we work with two organizations that are on the grassroots trying to save um, ancient rainforests um, in the Tarkine and other areas around the world. Um, and we, we send these guys our books every month um, to prove exactly how much we sold. And then we donate and then we transfer a bank transfer 3% of revenue, 2% to one, 1% to the other, all the info's on our website. Um, and anyone that's like sitting there thinking this guy's probably full of shit, just email these organizations and say, to Tarkine do this? They'll, you know, and then you'll get a reply from them back, okay? Yeah. Um, so that's why I say to everyone, just never, you know, never trust a shoe company that says anything because there's so much bullshit out there from, from the major <laughs> brands and, you know, nearly every brand and um, double check things and, you know, and no other brand does that. And I would love it if they did, you know, imagine if some of these billion dollar companies that owned by listed on Asian stock markets and freaking German stock markets and American stock markets. Imagine if they started funneling 3% of revenue um, to, um, to, to, to environmental grassroots organizations, it would be a game changer, um, but yeah. they don't, you know, um, and so, yeah, environmentally speaking, I think I just gave you a bit of a, a bit of a rundown. Um, or a lot of our apparel is recycled. A lot of our socks, everything, our shirts, our socks is recycled. But the other thing we do is that we pay to recycle shoes post-use. So if anyone, um, you know, we have a recycling centre um, where um, customers are invited to mail the shoes to this centre, we pay on a per kilogram basis, okay? So these shoes get recycled into whatever the, the recycling company can is work can do at that moment. So mats, rubber mats, that sort of stuff. Um, and then they send us a bill on a per kilo basis and we pay that bill, all right? So it's another way it, it, it you know, um, eats into your profit margins, eats into, into everything, makes it harder to survive, but it's a responsibility that I think most brands should be taking on. And um, there are a few actually that offer that now, which I think is a good sign, but there needs to be probably more. So we're doing everything we can um, on the environmental side at this stage. And, you know, we just need to keep working and keep getting better at it. At least you can sleep at night. You know, you'd know you're doing the right thing. Yeah, man. And like, yeah, d d exactly. Like it's, um, we're doing everything we can and just, and we're doing transparent about it. Uh, and uh, we, you know, we will get better and better. Everyone will get better and better. The technology is improving. It's not so much our, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of manufacturers out there working on improving all this tech in terms of uh, recycled stuff. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I had a message the other day from this athlete about this new brand in Europe who's doing this and this and that. And there's just the amount of greenwashing that goes in to a lot of the marketing is mind boggling. And I guess from, I've been, in, you know, living and breathing this stuff that, you know, we only launched two years ago, but I've been living and breathing this stuff since 2017, right? So I just, I've, I've been to Asia a bunch of times. I've been to countless factories. I know the industry inside out now, and I can tell you what, like there's just it, most of the, most of the stuff you read and hear about with all these brands, it's all 99% complete bullshit, you know? And so um, I, I think hopefully I'm the only one that I know about calling it out and saying it the way it is and, um, you know, and doing our best to get around that and, and do the best we can and the, the cleanest job we can. And, um, you know, hopefully that will get reflected in, in, in the brand as we, as we grow. Sam, you and Ross set the company up to, well, look, 
a, make a, a good shoe you got a road shoe and a trail shoe um and uh sort of trying i suppose pave the way for you know making a more environmentally friendly uh, product recycling of old products and then you know showing that you know companies really should be responsible with when their shoes instead of going to landfill that you'll take them and then uh, pay to have them recycled which i think um you know like um all power to you i think that's great that um you know and i think the more people go right well we're going to buy in we're going to buy these shoes from you because of this and if they see people migrating across the companies like you they might go well listen you know people like nike they make enough profit and sell enough shoes to be able to say hang on we should maybe do something about this as well because this is what people are demanding and i think slowly you know Rome wasn't built in a day and it's not going to happen overnight. But I think over time, people will start saying, you know, if people are in the social media and things are saying, Nike, what are you doing with our old shoes when, um, you know, can we send them to you? If there's enough demand and hopefully it um, it will will happen. 100%. I mean, I hope Nike do that. I hope Hoka do that and Sorkening and Asics and I hope they all do that, you know. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, everything you just said spot on it's it's got to start somewhere and it, it's just it's just, it's just ironic that the smallest shoe company in the world currently um is the one doing it and um it, you know and the biggest ones are not but obviously there's a reason for that it costs money you imagine if nike start paying for you know tens of millions of shoes every year to be recycled it's gonna it's gonna affect their earnings um their quarterly earnings reports on the New York Stock Exchange, and it's going to be a bit harder for them. They're probably going to have to put their prices up across the board and to, to counter it. And you know, maybe that's what they got to do. You know, I'm pretty sure people will keep buying Nike even if they put their prices up five or five or ten percent. So yeah, yeah. So how long did it take you to uh, source or find somewhere you could get the materials that were environmentally friendly that would then actually work to be a good enough like the soles for instance, or the midsole. How, how, I mean, that must be because you need a certain amount of cushioning. You need something that's going to last for, you know, I know that yours, you guarantee a thousand kilometers. So that must have been pretty tricky. Just talk us through how you went about that process. Yeah. Um, we don't really guarantee a thousand K. I think so. Maybe our marketing message on that is a bit wrong. We certainly can get well over a thousand K in them, but it really depends who you are. Like, we have a few customers and, you know, I'm not going to mention their names, but who weigh like 130 kilos and run mainly on the road. Uh, they're not lasting over a thousand yeah. for those customers. Yeah. Okay? You know, I, we, got, we got this athlete that we're working with at the moment who's like literally 40 something kilos. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that person, she's, she's getting, um, she's getting well over a thousand K in her shoes. So it just depends. I, you know, I don't want to like promise people things and, and it just, just depends who you are and what you're running on. But in order to answer your question on what we did, um, you know, how long it took, I started working on this in 2017. I, I went to Asia a bit. Um, I traveled around. I talked to everyone I could, uh, met everyone I could. Then we started working on prototypes. The first few factories we worked with, the prototypes were just absolutely crap. Um, kept moving to different ones, trying to find someone that could do it. Finally, you know, we stumbled across one that we were happy with. And um, it's it, it's a long process and it's an expensive process. And, you know, if I had my time over again, like I'd have to think hard about whether I wanted to do it, you know, because it was, it was kind of, I look back on it and think, God, like, you know, I, it wasn't, it was hard. Okay. It was really, but I think that's part of 
founding a company and getting it off the ground is that you've got to um, you've got to go through the hard yards to to figure it all out and um, and and that's that's what it takes. Like there's no way around it. You have to get to Asia. You have to you have to get everywhere where they're making shoes. So Vietnam, Taiwan, um, and China, and you need to figure out um, how it works. You know, um, and so uh, yeah, it took years, man. And I'm still learning, to be honest. Like um, one of the factories that we work with at the moment, I'm not happy with. We just fired we fired them a few months ago um, and moved uh, moved this particular product and completely new factory. Um, it was a hard thing to do, but it, it's an ongoing thing. We're getting better and better at it. But yeah. Was that because they weren't making the shoe to your specifications? They weren't. You you found out they weren't using the recycled materials as you were hoping. This this particular fact, this particular factory, the prototypes were insane good. Okay, but then once we went to production, um, the productive the finished shoes were not the same as the prototypes. Right, it's a classic trick that happens in big factories. Right, you make amazing prototypes and then they make the mass production using cheap shit. I figured it out before we paid the bill um, and cancelled the order and and delayed money and withheld money from them and walked away. It is a complete um, minefield out there in terms of um, you know there's you know there's just uh, it's a lot of sharks, um, a, a lot of people just trying to steal your money and it's a minefield. You know, um, obviously, like we we work with a lot of suppliers now, and most of them are brilliant. Okay, I'm not I'm not just painting the whole Asian brush with with this. Okay, because there's some lovely people and lovely business people who are you know, um, and some of these some of the honest people I've ever met as well at the same time. But there are um, some factories that um, you know are, are not honest. Just like in all walks of life, it's the same as in, in here in Australia. You get you know, there's a lot of people out trying to rob you as well. So. Um, it's not necessarily a, a problem, um, you know, that, that is just exclusive to, to those parts of the world or anything. Okay. Yeah. Slightly um, off topic, but I, I know a guy who had like a work boot made in China. Yeah. He, he said the hardest part about it was the, when he was over there was the, you know, designing it with the language barrier. Like, how did you get, did you have a translator with you or? Yeah, so well back then um, I was using so so initially I was using this uh, I guess it's called an agent it's not really called an agent um, they, they they call themselves sources um, and they 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 call themselves shoe dogs really they they're like but their actual job is sources and they um, they're, they're these old school shoe dogs who are expats most of them are either Aussie American English Irish. Uh, and they're guys that have spent 30, 40 years in the shoe industry, right? They probably, in their 20s, they started working for New Balance or Nike and, and then they moved to Brooks and then they moved to Asics. And then eventually they got so fed up with the corporate crap that they started their own little business. And they mostly, you know, these guys end up marrying, you know, a Chinese or a Vietnamese woman and they have a family in these countries. And so they start up these little businesses in these, in these cities, okay, in Ho Chi Minh, Okay, or you know, one of the many Chinese cities, and and they start up these little these little companies, um, and they source products for people. And so you can go to these companies and say, hey, I want to I want to start up a sneaker company. Can you be my sourcer? And if they like you, and if they think you have enough money, and they think you can pay the bills, they'll say yes. And it's their job to communicate, and they'll have translators 
Some of them can speak, you know, the local language. Um, and that's how I did it mainly in the early days is I, is I had these sources, I traveled around with them and sometimes they would have a driver who spoke the local language and would communicate that way. Whereas these days I've moved on from that. I think that's a pretty inefficient way. It's, it's not the best business model. Um, and these days we have a full-time Taiwanese man um, who works for us. And so we pay him, you know, uh, a full-time salary. It's his only job to work for, to work for Tarkine. Um, and you know he does everything. Okay, he speaks a local dialect. He he um uh and he he runs around Asia figuring out how to make the shoes that we wanted him to make. Okay, and so that's the only way to do it. I communicate with him on a daily basis. He's a he's an awesome 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 guy. Really really knowledgeable. Um, and that's the best way to do it. Cool, interesting. Hey, you don't realize all this stuff happens behind the scenes. I tell you what, I didn't know much of this either before I started going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. So, if you were gonna, um, uh, Sam, if you were gonna make a uh, just a like a, a running shoe, it would obviously be a lot easier to make it, say how Nike do, than putting it in to make it as environmentally friendly as possible. Would that be right? Oh yeah, I mean, if if you want to, yeah, hundred percent. Like if you if you just want to make a shoe. Um, that's just not recycled or anything at all, then yeah, it's much easier to just do it to do it that way. Uh, once you start, what it, it, it's all about how scarce product is, right? So, like, let's say, like, let's you know, there's many, many, there's like eight or nine main parts of a shoe, but let's just talk about the upper for a second because everyone understands what the upper is, okay? If you just use ordinary material in an upper, um, it's cheap because the factories have it just lying around in surplus, okay? And they can just grab it and whack it on any shoe. But if I start saying to that company, I want you to go and source an upper made of 100% European verified recycled plastic bottles, or I want you to go find an upper that's 60% recycled plastic bottles, 10% spandex and blah, 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 and you know, whatever else. Um, that's a more scarce product. And they're gonna have to go scour the earth trying to figure out how to do that. And then they're going to find a supplier in the you know, one of the four corners of China who says, yeah, we can do that, but you need to buy a ton of the stuff, okay? Yeah. And they'll come back and say, shit, a ton, how many pairs is that? And they'll say, Sam, we can do it, but if you're going to do it, you must order 6,000 units of shoes, okay? Um, whereas if I did it the Nike way and just had, you know, real cheap crap, I could do a really... Not that Nike's real trick cap. I didn't mean to say that actually, but if, if I did it, if I did it the Nike, what I meant to say was if I did it the Nike way without any recycled content, and there's a disclaimer, Nike do have shoes with recycled content in it, to be fair. Some of their shoes do, but um, a lot of them don't. And so if I if I did it that way, then you could do much smaller orders. Okay. And my cost per unit would be smaller too, because all that product is easily sourced. I hope that made sense. Yeah. 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 It must be so hard to get the performance part mixed in with the, you know, the, your mission part of doing everything recycled. Like, how did you do that? Just back um, and forth, back and forth. Yeah, the design process is really tricky. And there's there's obviously there's people who specialize in shoe design. There's shoe engineers or shoe designers. Um, the good ones are kind of a mix between engineers and designers. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of them are situated in, in the, you know, um, the state of Oregon, you know, in North America and not all of them, but it's, it's funny how many of them actually do live in those parts, but the designers everywhere you look. And so, um, you know, there's designers all around the world, but a lot of them are in North America. And so, um, you can pay one of these designers. And so 
the cost varies. Like, let's say you wanted to design, I don't know, let's just pick a shoe, like a, a high, let's just pick high end. You want to design what we're working on. One of our next shoes is a, is a carbon plate, Pebax infused um, road racing shoe. Okay. So we can really try and infiltrate the mass markets and get elite runners. And we, you know, we want to, we want to get the point where we've got Olympians in our product. Okay. Yeah. So we can become a massive brand. Uh, and um, the design process, it all starts with design. It starts with an idea. Okay. And then, so the guy, you know, the founders of the company, the people in the company or whatever, will just come up with this idea and I'll jot it all down in a, in, in an email or in a, what, what we call like a design brief, which will be like a 20 or 30 page thing where you just brainstorming ideas. Then you'll send it to a designer and design will quote on it on it. And so the, the, the quotes will vary from 8,000 USD to 25,000 USD. Okay. That's just a designer damn shoe, right? Um, and it's just, the, we've we've designed shoes we've we spent a lot of money on that we've ne never even produced because you know we we did prototype we decided it, it was it was done and we didn't like the shoe you know so we like scrapped it. It's really hard because you you got to commit that money and but you know you got to hope they get it right. They don't always get it right. What we've actually done now is that we have an in-house designer. Um, who is which we you know who has experience in design um who we stumbled across actually they're new zealand but new zealand uh, um, resident that they are living in perth at the moment and we found them and, and they work for us now and and we're training um kind of training them up on, on shoes even though they have a bit of experience and we're kind of combining that with some help and consulting work from some really experienced designers and um, and we're combining the two because my goal is not to send money to American designers. Right? I, I want to keep the money in Australia, right? And and that's been like I've been transparent about that from day one. We we now employ uh, six Australians um, and one Taiwanese guy. Um, I'm hoping this time next year we employ 15 Australians and you know the Taiwanese guy. Like you know we're trying to keep all our money here. So so we're training up this Australian designer, and it all happens in our headquarters. Um, and that's our goal. And so the, the design process takes months. Like, you know, I don't know how what it takes at big companies, but I know, I know even like at the, the biggest of all companies, you know, from concept to production is about 10 to 11 months. Right. So I think we're probably around that as well. Uh, it takes a long time. Yeah. But I, this is fascinating for me. Like I'm a bit of a shoe geek <laughs> and just to hear all this is just mind blowing. eh? like, what about you, Nathan? It's nuts. Well, I read uh, not long ago, I read uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, the Nike yeah, story. And Steve, Willie, you need to read that um, mm. because that will give you a really good insight into, um, it, into it as well, especially from the early days. You know, it's probably changed a little bit uh, since then. But the whole, uh, like Sam was saying, you know, people ripping you off, taking your money and then, you know, you got you, you know, sorting the wheat from the chaff sort of thing to find a, a genuine uh, shoe people from uh, you know like the the crooks um, out there. But um, yeah, it's really good to be able to sit down with someone like um, like uh, Sam, you and Ross are like yeah. the Phil Knights of <laughs> type. Of, I don't know, you know? About that, mate. And then uh, you'll be employing you'll be employing a. Steve and I over here to go and uh, we're going, we'll be your reps and we're going, I work in the sales industry myself. So we can go out and uh, sell your shoes to all the shops. And oh, I hope so, mate. I love get, that. I love get that. Them in. So going from trail to road, what's the main 
like performance differences. I mean, I'm thinking immediately the foam, but yeah, what's, how do you go from, from a, a solid trail shoe to a super fast road shoe? In terms of the next shoe we're working on? Yeah. If you're going to go down that road. Yeah. I mean, they're more, more or less, I view them as completely different, different shoes, you know, um, and, and, and the, we don't really use any of the tech from our current trail shoe, which we, is the trail devil. Um, in this road shoe so you know I think the moment if you look at obviously I mean you boys know all this but the you know what's happening in the world of racing shoes uh, road racing shoes is obviously Pebax foam a lot of Pebax foam um, carbon fiber plates um, super 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 light um, and a lot of stack height okay um, with a bit of with a pretty aggressive uh, roll on it right so Meta Rocco so um, uh, and it's it's just like it's like comparing they just it's just completely different thing to um you know a trail shoe a trail shoe obviously we've got lugs you know three and a half mil lugs um the foam that we use is is pretty soft and light but um it's probably a fair bit more durable as well so when you have something that's super durable it tends to just weigh a tiny bit more um but also if you look at our upper construction of the trail devil the mesh is kind of it's quite protective um, because, you know, for rocks and sticks and objects just tearing through the upper and, and hurting you during a trail race at, you know, a technical descent or something. And so they're, they're really different different products, whereas a road shoe, you're not really dealing with sticks and logs and, and crossing rivers, and it's mainly just smashing it out on the roads, right? So they're just they're so, so, so different. So how do we actually go about designing that road shoe? Um, you know, it all starts back at the design design stage and coming up with a design we're happy with. Then, um, then the team over kind of, you know, we'll put together 3D models, um, digital 3D models, and then we're happy with that. We'll, they will then proceed to a prototype stage where we get one mold made in a certain size that we want to prototype it in that size. Okay. And then, then you just, and that's how the prototyping stage starts. You need to pay for, for one, one shoe, you pay for one mold cost, um, and then you, you prototype the hell out of it um, and you, you, you just keep going until you're happy. The first shoe you came out with, was that the trail shoe? No, the first shoe we came out with was called the Goshawk, which is a, just an everyday running shoe. Yeah. Um, the, hardest thing, the hardest thing is the foam because the, the foam of a shoe is the sole of the shoe, okay? And it's like, um, and our very first shoe, like we've kind of sold out on it now, but it was like the version one Goshawk. The foam, like it was, it was a nice foam, a responsive foam, but not. I wasn't actually that happy with it in the end of the day. Like the prototype foam is better than the mass production foam. It, um, it was just a little bit too hard for my liking. Whereas the Trail Devil, we've gone a lot softer. The second Goshawk was a lot softer, um, and because it's like really what people want these days is soft foam. But soft yet bounty, okay, um, and that's what Pebax gives you. Um, and the, the figuring out the foam is the hardest thing. And so we've just we've made some huge inroads into into the foam. There's a lot of R and D that goes into developing foam. Um, and look, the upper of a shoe is easy. Like anyone can make a nice upper. The outsole of the shoes, um, I say it's easy, but it's really not too easy. But it's a bit easier than the foam. The hardest thing is the foam, and that's why. That the, that the big companies keep their foam formulas, it's secret like the formula to Coke, you know. Um, it's just very, very secretive, very hard to, you know, you can say, people say, oh, why don't you just go copy, you know, Nike's 
Payback's fine. I'm like, how? You know, you, yeah. you, can't, you, you can't do that. Like, it's not, there, there, there's nowhere, you know, the Nike are too smart. They're not just going to, you know, make that possible. Um, and so uh, you need to, there's no shortcuts. You need to figure out how to do it. And so been working on that for years. Um, we've made some huge breakthroughs over the last few months. Um, we've got um, a shoe that I think will rival um you know the the best running shoe uh, racing shoes on the market um it's going to take another year to get one of that one to market but by the, i think that wow. we, will get there. we will get there yeah exciting daunting as well you know and it's expensive yeah. <laughs> so the shoes uh your shoes available at the moment what uh shoes uh do you have that people can purchase and where can they get them from right so we've got the um the trail, we've got the Goshawk um, season two. We've got a couple of the season ones left in, in some sizes and colors. Um, and we also have the Trail Devil. We also have a barefoot shoe, which we bought out mainly just for website sales because we just have a lot of people want barefoot shoes. Um, I thought they kind of that trend had died, you know, when it kind of 10 years ago, but apparently not. You know, a lot of gym junkies love barefoot shoes. Um, I don't know many hardcore runners. <laughs> really do their massive miles yeah, in, like, you know, in barefoot shoes these days. It's like gone the opposite. Like I think most, most hardcore runners I hang out with are, you know, wearing high stack, very cushioned shoes. I think that's more the trend, but there's definitely a lot of crossfitters and a lot of um, people who do run a little bit, but they might only run 10 or 15 kilometers a week. And then they do a lot of gym and a lot of CrossFit. Those guys just love barefoot shoes. So very, very popular in that market. That's why we have that um, that shoe, which we we only launched that six weeks ago, and it's nearly sold out in most of our sizes. So the wow. um so we so so the, currently we have four models. We are bringing out another barefoot shoe in about six weeks. Then we're bringing out a high mileage trainer called the Solaris, which is a I'm going to show you boys. No guys aren't going to be able to see. I'm just going to rip it off my foot. But here's a prototype of the Solaris. It's a kind of a higher stack in a, just, you know, a nice kind of really um, good looking, good looking high mileage trainer shoe. So this is a, a Pebax. Uh, it's actually like a, a TPU infused with Pebax. So it's incredibly light and incredibly soft and incredibly bouncy. Um, and it's, I think this, the Solaris, when it hits the market will be um, a, a game changer for Tarkine because we're going to have a high mileage shoe with a really, really technical midsole. Um, and so I'm, I run about 100k a week uh, at the moment, and I've just been doing all my mileage in it. Got a bunch of guys here testing it in Perth, just locals, local boys. One of our guys here is about 180k weeks um, in it, and it's just it's just a huge step up for us in because we're using a, a super shoe midsole in this um, in this high mileage trainer. There's only one brand. I'm not going to say there's only one brand that currently has a high mileage trainer using using the super super shoe foam okay um which is the invincible right so um by nike and no no other brand yet i don't think has a high mileage trainer using pedac so we hopefully will be the second um it's a really and so that's coming out next year um and um uh and then after that the racing shoe and the racing shoe is is on the way but you know i can't rush the racing shoe i don't want to say when that's going to be out because i don't really know to be honest it's it's um it's it's a very 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 uh, intensive shoe to produce and um where you can get it tarkine.com um is direct to consumer sales and then we're also in a bunch of shops so if you're in new south wales we've just we've just joined um pace athletic have just joined on board so they're one of 
um, probably I think they're the biggest behind Athletes Foot and Rebel Sport. That'd be the third biggest in in New South Wales. I think they have seven or eight shops. They just bought out Blue the Blue Mountains Running Company the other day. I think they're opening a new shop down south. So they have it. They have they're a big chain in in New South Wales. It's stocked the Trail Devil. Um, we're also stocked in um, in Brisbane in um, Wildfire. We're stocked in um, in Western Australia in Running Warehouse and Tribe and Trail and Running Works. We're about to jump on board in two ones in Tassie, which I'm not going to mention right now, just because they haven't actually stocked them this second. But that will be on our socials. Um, we're in, we're in chats with a few in Melbourne, but you know um, we haven't actually got there yet. So one of our problems is that to stock shops, you need enough stock in every size and. And because our orders are small, we tend to be selling out quick. So there's our limit to how many stocks we want to shops we want to stock at this at this moment. But that will be growing, you know, with time. I have to say, I love the um, the the trail shoe, the trail devil. I love the color. Yeah, trail devil's been really good for us. You know, it's a it's a high stack trail shoe. You know, it's a I guess like if I had to compare it to anything on the market, it would be the Hocus Hocus Speed Goat. You know, it's a um, <clears throat> it's kind of um, thirty nine mil in the in the heel 33 uh, and the four foot you know six mil drop got it's got a rocker it's um you know pretty soft foam it's light it's got you know nice lugs and um yeah it's just a it's just a real fun shoe to to rip down the trails with you know man that that road shoe that you had up before is a really good looking shoe and it is i know i can you know it, yeah it's it's really good it's like um, I think this is gonna it's gonna be a breakthrough for us this shoe um, when it hits the market. So I'm really trying to hurry it, hurry it. I wanted it by Christmas. It's not gonna happen. So um, we'll have to just be patient on that. But um, yeah, early next year, touch wood. What what was the weight on that? Um, so this is a US 11 prototype. This is 278 grams US 11. Um, so it's pretty light, you know, for a high mileage trainer. Um, you know, uh, I don't think we could shed a little bit of weight, but if you look like at the outsole, it's got a decent amount of outsole, a lot of exposed foam there as well, but um, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty light shoe. Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that weight um, being a high mileage trainer. Um, you know, uh, if you compare it to, uh, you know, a bunch of others, it's, it's pretty much, pretty much. The invincible, the invincible is heavy as hell. It's heavy as hell. Oh, yeah. So my, I, I think a US 11 and the invincible is about 327 yeah. grams. Yeah. and then some yeah yeah and then so yeah so um because they've got their kind of plastic um around the back of it you know around the heel counter and stuff yeah. don't they? and they also in the invincible it's very wide you know like you kind of cut your heels on it like if you yeah. if you've got big car no, i meant to say calves on heels but sometimes the the back of the the heel counter will kind of cut into your calf won't it with the, the invincible and i think that it, it weighs a lot due to the width and um mm. there's our um this solaris it's not quite as wide as as that yeah, yeah that looks nice yeah my 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 partner and my last calls them uh gravy boats because <laughs> they're just so big <laughs> yeah they're, yeah they're big i know i know yeah. and they're, they're fun and soft but i just like I, for me they're just a bit too big like a bit too wide that i feel like i've got kind of clown shoes on you know yeah and you want a pair of shoes. You want to. You want to be running them and think, oh, you know, I feel quite free and I'm getting cushioned in. But I just feel like you got to enjoy running in them and, and being in a shoe. I think as well. So it's different. Sam, I probably should have asked this question earlier on, but like, how did you get into the shoe game? Like, were you just really into your running shoes, or 
you're obviously a um, runner yourself and yeah i mean i've been a runner like a um runner since i was a little kid you know i was a middle distance runner um through uh, most of my life and um um you know kind of shorter stuff 800 1500s and that and then um uh how did i get into it god i mean like i had I'm a veterinarian by trade. Like I had a, you know, I graduated from vet school in 2007, worked as a vet for many years. I still work as a vet one, one night a week. Um, and I had a, I owned a vet, veterinary hospital and um, in Sydney for a long time. And, uh, and when I sold that, I just thought, you know, I just want to do something different. You know, I'm sick of dealing with, with, um, you know, dogs and cats and vaccines and whining owners all day long. Um, the vet industry is, is not what it's appears to no. be on the tv okay you know um you're not just dealing with cute puppies you're dealing with you know the dreads of society no offense but you're just yeah. you know you're really it's a stressful job and and it's you know most vets i know don't want to be vets you know you know 99 of vets are kind of a pretty miserable you know people so i just made a decision I, I didn't want to just keep being miserable um in a career that wasn't fulfilling um and i just thought shit what can i do that would be fun and then i was on this holiday and i read i entered out right when shoe dog came out um actually no it was before then i wanted to do it before then but then i started toying around then shoe dog came out in 2018 i read that and then that kind of i just thought i just need to i just need to have a crack at this i actually tried to do it in 2009 okay i like uh, me and ross my uh, who ross founded tarkine with me so ross has been with me every step of the way i went through high school with ross um and um we've, we've known each other since we were 15 i think and um gone through a lot together you know like a, a hell of a lot and he um um and and ross and i tried to do it in 2009 but we we didn't have we were just kids i guess still we didn't have any money and we didn't realize how expensive it was going to be yeah. and gave up you know and then we came back you know nine years later to have another go so um did you grow up in perth no i grew up in sydney in okay. sydney uh yeah. yeah, I just um I went to vet school in Perth and so and then my wife um my wife wanted to to live to move back here. Um and so yeah, I said, okay, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Man, I, I think you made the right call with the the vet thing. I someone was telling me not too long ago, one of the women at the running club I'm in is a vet and she was saying that it has a really high um suicide rate. Very because, high, man. Very yeah. high. It's like a really it's, sad job was putting dogs down and it's sad. Like it look, it is it it look it's sad that euthanizing dogs and cats is not fun, but it's like if you imagine yourself like inside this building where you don't really see much sunlight for 12 hours a day, the phone's ringing off the hook, there's nurses, you know, breaking down and getting emotional, there's owners, everyone's angry about money, no one wants to pay their bills, right? You know, like someone's dog, someone accidentally runs over their cat, you know, breaks its pelvis. And it's not my fault you ran yeah. over your cat. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know, do you want me to do complex surgery and x-rays and surgery and analgesia and eight days of intensive care? It's going to cost six, seven grand, right? It's not my fault that things are expensive, um, but people will think that people think that you're just trying to rob them blind they don't realize that the average vet earns about 70,000 a year. Okay. You know, they're not raking it in. And so um, it's just, you know, but, but people get emotional because they don't want to spend the money. They want their cat to live. And uh, an average day over a vet would be dealing with 30 of those, you know, 
because it's such a busy industry and it's so understaffed and you finish a shift and you get home and I, I used to get home. I've been very open here, but like I used to get home after 15 hour shifts and go straight to the fridge and scull a beer, you know, because it was just, I, it was just, it was just exhausting. And so I just think, is that the life that I want for the rest of my life? I did it. For, I've been doing it for 17 years. I still do it one night a week just to keep my yeah. skills. Like, uh, man, I know I've known some vets take their lives and I think it's depressing, but you also have access to any drug you want. You know, all you got to do is open the safe hook yourself up to fentanyl, methadone, um, lethobarb, you know, pen, pentobarbitone, whatever you want, it's there. Your vets are very, very skilled at, at, at putting IV catheters in. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's uh, we're getting deep here, but it's a, it's a yeah. hard industry. It's a really, really hard industry. So yeah. if one of my kids wanted to do it, I would try and talk them out of it. Not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I think that's been great. And uh, we look forward to, I think we've, we've got some, we're going to test uh, a couple of pairs. We're going to test for you guys as well. Nice, uh, nice. Thanks to Ross. And, awesome. uh, and, um, and I think just um, if I forget, you know, just when the Solaris hits, you got to make sure you, you try and get a, grab a pair of the Solaris. Yeah. Um, it's the, I think yeah, you boys, when you put this on, you'll realize that, you know, we've, we've gone and created, we've figured out the super phone thing and, um, we now have a shoe that um, I just I would put next to any shoe on the market in terms of high mileage trainers and say, hey, you know, this is this is the, one of the nicest phones I've ever run in, and um, just this tiny little Australian companies figured out how to do it, and um, I think um, hopefully that Solaris will help us move into into the masses, you know, and and take and mm. company to the next level. Touch wood. Definitely. Yeah, we look forward to it. Magic. Exciting. Nice. Very exciting. Oh, Sam, thanks for your time. Yeah. Uh, I hope we haven't pulled you away from too much important work. And... Anytime. I so I'll chat sneakers any day of the week, boys. So yeah. Yeah. Like I could have just let you keep talking. <laughs> Especially about all the behind the scenes stuff. I could have just sat and just listened and listened and listened. I find that just yeah. fascinating. Oh yeah. And I feel like I've just touched the surface. Uh, I've got some stories yeah. to tell. Um, you know, you know, just been some been some hairy moments, but you know, happy to chat again one day if you want. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to have to catch up. Maybe when you um release that's, the Solaris. That, that's what you need, Steve. Shoe dog, Phil Knight, mate. I, I read it in a week. I just couldn't put it down. It was yeah, just uh yeah, you'll um, you'll enjoy so, that. You boys want to read a book about shoes. Um there's a book that it's hard to get and it's called Swoosh. Uh the un, the untold story of Nike and the men that played there. Um, it's written by Schwasser, I think I maybe just oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy that, you know, one of the early guys and it's, it was never, uh, Phil Knight never got behind the book. He, I think he tried to prevent it coming out actually, but uh, maybe, but it's like really thick book, but it goes into the real story of Shoe Dog, you know, because the it, Shoe Dog is like written by obviously Phil Knight and it's, it's told in his life that, but this is a story of the his employees and what the guys like and what it's really like at Nike in the early days. And it would still look like a fun place to be and very exciting. But um, you know, Phil Knight's not the perfect guy that he that he leads on in his um in his in that in that in that shoe dog book. So I, I definitely yeah. recommend get checking out that other book for the for a more kind of um uh neutral uh and um you know objective other side of the fence. There's, yeah. there's, there's always three sides to a story, isn't there? Your yeah. side, 
your side, their side, and then the truth somewhere in the middle. Um, so, oh, he's a he's a hard ass, you know. You got I guess you got to be, but he's like you know he takes no prisoners and uh, yeah, uh, I mean good on him, you know. It's done well. Yeah, legend, excellent. Thanks, Sam. All again, right. it's been great. Bye, right, boys. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for that, Sam. We'll catch up with you soon. Hesitant 
exploitating, on exploitating my mind, 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 mind.